When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk and welcome back to Market Down Monday. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com. I'm here with Doug Maurice and Stephen Means. It's the triumphant return of one of our 2020 staples. We're carrying it over into the 2021 offseason. And for those who haven't been following along, this is also starting off a kind of a rearrangement of the podcast schedule. So you're getting this on Monday. We've been doing Tuesday through Saturday for a while. Now we're going to be Monday through Friday, normal working week, guys. This was a big, I think, hit with a lot of our texters. I think we enjoyed it too. A lot of our listeners giving each other a question and making us like stick to it. And then at the end of the season, we went back and saw how wrong we were or how right we were, but a lot of times how wrong we were. And today we're talking still about the NFL draft, but we're not talking about the one that just happened. We're talking about the next one that's coming, the 2022 NFL draft. And basically, how many first-round picks will Ohio State have in the 2022 NFL draft? We have a couple other questions that go along with that, but I think that's the staple question. And for Doug and Steven, I kind of want to get your thoughts about this because you've been around Ohio State football longer than I have. How integral is first-round draft pick identity with Ohio State football because obviously winning the Big Ten in theory can happen without a lot of first round picks getting to the playoff can in theory happen without like an abundance of first round picks but it seems like producing this kind of talent is as um, much a part of the Ohio State identity as the winning that happens arguably only as a result of that, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, it it can, you can look at those two things separately, I think. Well, it didn't used to be like in the Trestle area. It wasn't, I mean, like they won the big 10 because they had a lot of good football players. They didn't win the big 10 and compete for national titles because they were dripping with first rounders. But I think in the urban Meyer era, uh, it has become that. And as we said, leading into this draft, they'd had multiple first round picks five straight years and then the 2021 draft broke that streak in in part because a guy like Chris Olave sort of unexpectedly stayed in school but given um the talent on this roster I think it would be I think yeah I think it is a big deal like if they don't have 
at least two first round picks next year, it'll be a disappointment that I think people will note. They promoted as such a big deal. I mean, BIA, I mean, where does that derive from? Zone six, uh, the Rushman, are they all derived from the fact that they, they, they develop so much first round talent around here and they promote that stuff. And when you talk to guys who play those positions in high school and they talk about, you ask them, you know, why you like Ohio state, it's always brought up, Oh, they produce this many first rounders and they've done it in so many different ways. Uh, we've seen five stars become first rounders, obviously, but you've seen three stars and lower rated four stars become first rounders as well. So yeah, it's a it's significantly big deal because it's something that you, that can help promote your program in, in the recruiting process. So Doug hits on an important point. It was where I kind of wanted to start on this was sort of set the stage with the, the Ohio State draft history. I went back to 1995. This is actually going to be a 26 year period, but it just rounded off. I, for what I wanted to do here, I thought it rounded off well from 1995 to 2015. So that's technically a 21 year period. You guys guess how many first round picks did Ohio State have in that 21 year period from 1995 to 2015, I should say. I'll say 17. I was going to say 15. 31. So still averaging almost one and a half first round picks per year. Now, some of those were really bunched together. They would have some years where they had three. They had a lot of years where they had zero. I'm looking back one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years in that span where they had no first round picks. One year in that stretch, as we talked about last week, they had no picks at all in 1998, which is just kind of an anomaly. But it was, it was less common because here in the past six drafts, even though they only had one in 2021, they've had 16 first-round picks since 2016. Um, they were averaging 5.8 picks per year in the total draft from 95 to 2015 and 9.2, so, you know, three and a half more per, per draft getting drafted. And, and, Doug, did you see a shift in real time when it went from Trestle to Meyer? Because that seems to be – where a, a line has been sort of drawn in the sand. I guess maybe even the better question is, do you feel like this is a, a trend or just kind of a, a bubble, or does it feel like this is the new Ohio State identity, that getting, you know, nine, ten guys per draft and getting uh, three kind of almost as the, the minimum that you look at, two and a half to three, I guess would be the average number, per in the first round per draft, does that seem like the new identity of Ohio State football in a way that it just wasn't for those previous – 25 years yeah oh yeah heck yeah I mean like it's all I mean it's recruiting I mean it's just it's just recruiting it's national recruiting you know and and like you said you know John Cooper had more kind of elite picks kind of tier one first half of the first round picks than Jim Tressel did because John Cooper was going out and recruiting nationally now by the way a lot of John Cooper's best players were actually also Ohio guys you know Orlando Pace was from Ohio Right. So that was a lot of it too. Um, Sean Springs wasn't an Ohio guy, but he was a son of a Buckeye. Right. So it's like, you know, but David Boston was from out of state guy. Terry Glenn was from Ohio. But yeah, I mean, it's like the Urban Meyer recruiting model, starting with the 2013 recruiting class. And as it showed up with five first round picks in 2016, it's, I mean, it's not a bubble. It's a trend as long as like this sort of Urban Meyer-esque recruiting model remains, which under Ryan Day, he's established his own recruiting identity, but I would say it's still a Meyer-esque recruiting model. If Ryan Day ever changes his recruiting strategy or Ryan Day leaves and the next coach, listen, if Ryan Day leaves and the next coach is Luke Fickle, it might change. 
then it might be like a bubble more than a trend. So, but at the moment, it's a trend. And by the way, you know, Luke Fickle might also look at like, listen, man, I am really good at recruiting Ohio, but Luke Fickle also goes and beats down doors in Georgia and Florida and is a really good national recruiter and got Baron Browning out of Texas, right? Like he can do all those things too. And whoever comes into Ohio State next, I mean, actually, what coach would come and be like, you know what? Throw it all out. I just really think if we just focus on like Zanesville and Toledo, that's where we butter our bread. I like it's not. I think this probably is a trend from now until, you know, the Chinese uh, rocket like satellite thing falls on top of Ohio Stadium and ruins the program, right? I mean, I'm gonna get who has not in the last half day considered the idea of this rogue Chinese rocket falling to Earth on your house, right? You thought it might fall on your house. I've spent at least five minutes thinking about the idea of a Chinese satellite falling on my house. Come on. Five no, minutes? The, the, no, the problem, five minutes? You wasted thought, five minutes on that? The world is enormous. It's got a much better chance of falling into the ocean than it does on my tiny little square true. of East yeah. Columbus. Yeah. saying it could happen. Play this back after Nathan's you. not with us anymore. Mark it down. Mark, Mark it down. That satellite is not falling on my house. All yeah, right, I'll take I, my chances. I'm, I'm marking it down that it does fall on Nathan's house. We'll see who's right in two days. <laughs> Steven, how much, do you, how much does this come up when you talk to recruits? Because it's one thing. We, we did a podcast the other day talking about the, comparing Ohio State to Michigan, kind of comparing Ohio State to the rest of the Big Ten. And other programs produce a decent amount of draft picks. How much does it come up in recruiting when you talk to guys about – the, the fact that Ohio State knows how to get guys up to the top tier of the draft in a way that not every program does. And it, 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 it's kind of one of those, like, chicken before the egg thing, too. Sometimes because you're getting a five-star guy, those guys get to the NFL at a different rate than whatever. But you know what I'm asking. Yeah, yeah, and it depends on the position. I mean, if you're talking about cornerbacks and defensive ends and obviously now wide receivers, as we'll see next year, all the time. It's the, it's one of the first two, few talking points, and that's why it's realistic to think, okay, Ohio State can have two to three every single year because of the positions they're developing in the first rounders. It's positions that are going to always be top 15, top 20 picks anyway. Corners, you know, defensive ends, we'll see. I mean, we'll see with tackle if they ever get there, with whether it's Nicholas Petitfair, there Mumford, or Paris Johnson coming down the pipeline. But when you Start there, but then you also add in the quarterback situation. You add in the wide receiver situation. You're checking that bo- that that check bo- box off. You're checking that box off with positions that are always go in the first round. So with those guys, it's a constant conversation of, oh yeah. I love Kerry Combs. I mean, I know what his rep- reputation is in developing first-rounders. Larry Johnson's the, the, the guru. He's the goat of defensive line recruiting. Brian Hartline relates to us so well, and he's so great at developing guys. Ryan Day's the best quarterback developer in the country. At, at those specific spots, because they're always first-rounders, it comes up all the time. Now, with every other position – it's going to be some outliers. It's going to be a line with some linebackers and some, some running backs and some defense, interior defensive linemen and some offensive linemen and whatnot. But for the most part, when you talk to those positions, it's among the first or second or third thing we talk about. Yeah, I think that's actually a good point. And Doug, you brought up uh, earlier that, you know, as long as the Urban Meyer structure stays in place, you think that this should probably continue for Ohio State. But you do wonder, like, Larry Johnson retires. Maybe Brian Hartline goes somewhere else. Uh, maybe Ryan Day takes another job. And so the guys that they're getting, I mean, they're, they're getting defensive ends 
uh, they're getting uh, wide receivers, they're getting quarterbacks, they're getting cornerbacks. You know, Kerry Combs won't coach forever. Like, so that still doesn't seem to be like on something that Ohio State have to deal with immediately. But that I could also see that being the factor here too. That as as these specific assistants sort of cycle through, that happen to be the guys who are coaching the players who would maybe be most likely to go in the first round, coaching the positions that are most likely to produce first round picks, that that could also have an effect on how consistently Ohio State keeps doing this in the long term. I mean, check how the recruiting went when Kerry Combs wasn't here. Yeah. Like it wasn't as good. So yeah. like it's, it's one of those things that goes back to the argument that people get tired of me having. It's like, I think in general, right. Assistant coaches aren't what changes a program, but the great ones matter. Right. And it's, and when you don't, when you don't replace a great coach and a great recruiter with another great coach and great recruiter, which Ohio state should always be able to do. But when you don't, it matters. So the drop off from Kerry Combs to Tabor Johnson really mattered. Jeff Halfley got it going a little bit. I mean, one of the biggest things with Jeff Halfley is that like one of his best recruits, Clark Phillips bailed once Jeff Halfley left and he was only here for a year. So he could never really establish it. I think if Jeff Halfley had stayed, Stephen, for like five years, I think their like defensive back recruiting would have been good, right? I don't think we'd be sitting here mm-hmm. going like, man, the defensive back talent. Remember the Kerry Combs days? But we did see the dip. And so they should be okay when Larry Johnson retires, as long as they hire someone as good as him. And he's one of the best 10 assistants in college football history. So on one hand, it sounds like an impossible thing to do. On the other hand, you're Ohio State. What are you talking about? It's impossible. Go get a great teacher and person who relates to high school kids. Go get that on defensive line. There's no excuse for not doing it. But if they can't, there will be an effect. Because as much as the program and the head coach would be here, you know, those individual relationships still don't happen automatically. Honestly, I think defensive line might be the one place where the guy they replaced Larry Johnson with better have at some point in his career worked with Larry Johnson, <coughs> Kenny Ananuke. Um, I mean, he's gone right now, but that I'm just saying, just because he then he knows how it works and he can kind of apply some of that same stuff. But yeah, I mean, Kerry Combs just spent the last week showing you exactly how valuable he was with the way with how quickly he moved with some of these defensive back commits that they just got. So I wanted to compare Ohio State nationally because we talked earlier this week, like I said, within the Big Ten. There's a, there's a clear differential. I mean, Ohio State is sort of lapping the rest of the conference as it comes to the NFL draft. And there is, I think, a strong argument that Ohio State is the second best program in the country as far as first-round talent. Ohio, uh, Alabama is the clear number one here. They've had no fewer than three first-rounders in any draft dating back to 2017. They've had 21 total first-round draft picks in those five drafts. They just pile them up every year in a way that even Ohio State hasn't been able to do. Ohio State had the one year where they had 12 picks and five in the first round. And as we're going to talk about later, I think there's reason to think it's it's going to be a pretty prolific draft for them in 2022. Uh, But what Alabama does year in and year out, kind of borderline crazy. But when you compare them to the other, like, top-tier annual playoff contenders, I think Ohio State stacks up really well. Uh, Clemson has had uh, 12 first-round picks dating back to 2013. So that's a similar rate, but Ohio State, I think, beats that. And certainly in these last few years, they've been ahead of it, you know, averaging you know, over two and a half per draft. Oklahoma has had five first-round picks in the last four years, 
after having only one from 2011 through 2017. So whether you're talking about short-term or long-term, Ohio State's way ahead of Oklahoma. Georgia's had a first-rounder in eight of the last 11 drafts and 12 total in that span. So that's another one of those programs that is, is right there on the cusp, but almost as underachieving maybe a little bit where they could be there. It's tough for them because they have to get through Alabama and then whoever else rises up in the SEC in a given year. And then Notre Dame has had nine in the last 10 years and none in the past two drafts. They've had five second rounders. I think most of those have been like first half of the second round, but none in the last couple of years and have, we're still able to get to playoff this past year. So teams, are, those are all, I think, good numbers for all those teams, but it shows you where Ohio state stands and why I think people are so, I think excited about the long term of Ohio State because they have elevated themselves and, and and built a foundation on that kind of talent production, you know, acquiring the talent and then producing the talent to get to that level. And as we were talking about before, Doug, kind of the difference between the trend and the bubble, that's why I think it probably is a, a real trend that's leading to a new identity because it, it, it they're doing it at a level that almost nobody else is doing it. Alabama and Nick Saban, who are just a, a different kind of animal, are the only program that's doing it at a different level. So I'm kind of embarrassed by my guess earlier of, of 17 yeah. when it was 31, but I think there's something that uh, I was just trying to crunch a few numbers here. Um, okay, here are the numbers. So the last, so as you said, Nathan, this most recent six-year period that you mentioned, they have 16 first-round picks in the last six years. I'm giving an excuse for why my guess was so bad. The previous six-year period, right, you mm -hmm. had done that big wide period. Yep. These six years, 16 first-round picks. The previous six years, from 2010 to 2015, three first-round picks. Yeah, like, no. that's where my head was. And in four of those years, mm -hmm. they had none. Same, same. But the six-year period before that, from 2004 to 2009, 13 first round picks mm -hmm. right so it was this sort of late trestle era lull because their most successful first round ever tied with the joey bosa ezekiel elliott five first round picks in 2016 was the 2006 class when they had five guys and most of those those guys were early trestle recruits like trestles like first and second classes aj hawk nick mangold dante whitner bobby carpenter guys like that right and I'm just going to throw this last number out here. So of the, of the 16 picks in this era, right, the last six years, they have 16 first-round picks. Six of those 16 went to high school in Ohio. So that's 10 out-of-state kids out of 16. Back to that era, and, and from 2004 to 2009, when they had 13 first-round picks, seven of those kids went to high school in Ohio. And it happened to be four of the five in that big year were Ohio guys. But it, that hasn't changed that much. Ohio State, the last three years, has six first-round picks, nobody from Ohio. Now, the year before that, they had two first-round picks in 2018. It was Denzel Ward and Billy Price, both Ohio guys. If you don't recruit nationally at a high level, like, you're not going to do this. And it's possible that the number uh, we have to get uh, we have to get into this in some way a little bit. I think we've had it on our site. I don't think this was a great draft for Ohio high school players. This 2021 draft: Leah Meikenberg from Notre Dame, Luke Farrell, right, fifth round pick from Ohio State, couple Ohio guys. Not a great draft for Ohio guys, and I think that is going to continue. So for Ohio State to maintain any kind of level, 
of N- elite NFL draft development, they, they, of course, they have to do it to win in college, but they also have to do it to do this in the draft. It really is going to, I think, even lean more and more, more and more on the national guys and not the Ohio high school guys. Do you see that happening, Stephen, as you're, as you're watching them, the way that they recruit nationally? Because obviously, again, we talked about this a little bit on the pod earlier this week, that if it's, if it's a, 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 a premium position, defensive end, receiver, corner, you expect Ohio State to be in on those guys. I think you might be right, Doug. I just think the Ohio guys just might be louder. There might be a little bit more first. We might get into a trend of seeing an Ohio guy go in the first round every few years in the next couple of drafts here. I mean, obviously Paris, and then you might follow it up with Jack, and then Brendan Vernon might show up. Zach Harrison, obviously. I, I think it, that might be the case where there mo- might not be this bulk of guys throughout the draft where we're looking back and we're going, man, there are eight or nine or ten Ohio guys drafted. There might only be two or three guys drafted, but two of them are first rounders and another one's like early in the second round. I think that's an interesting that, point because what we were saying kind of positionally, you know, like you get, you know, a left tackle, a defensive end, uh, those, those sorts of positions have a first round ceiling in a way that let's say Josh Myers as as highly ranked as he was coming out of high school. I don't know what he could have necessarily done to probably climb in the first round contention being like a, a center and a guard. You'd have to be kind of in that Quentin Nelson conversation. He probably like maxed out where he was, potentially able to go it to some extent like he might have been a second round at best guy and got there so I think that that's another thing to kind of remember the Ohio State's had this trend recently of having guys at the highest impact positions in their backyard it, it'll be interesting like do, are you getting wide receivers and quarterbacks from in-state and I think that's where you're still going to get the biggest bang for your buck by going out of state and also Ohio State's just taking all the guys all the guys who might fall under the potential first round draft pick you know, from Ohio, guys, they're all just coming to Ohio State now. They're not really getting scattered outside of Drew Allard just because he's a quarterback, and we'll see how that development works out. A lot of – I mean, Jack Sawyer is a defensive end. Paris Johnson's a, a tackle. The Jaden Ballard's a wide receiver. We'll see what happens with that development. Brennan Vernon's a defensive end. Mike Hall's a defensive tackle. So it's just – they're taking all of the guys – Ohio State is taking all of the guys who would fall under people where we would look at and go, in three or four years, could he be a first-round draft pick? Jackson Carmen probably being like the one exception to that. And what did he ended up being mm-hmm. third round this year? Yeah. Second and I think he's, round. I don't even think he's going to be a tackle. I think he's going to be a guard at, the, at that right. level as well. So, right. We're going to take a break there. We are going to come back and we are going to mark it down for the first time since the end of the 2020 season. You're listening to Buckeye talk. We're back on Buckeye Talk, and before we mark it down on how many first-round picks Ohio State will have in the 2022 NFL Draft, we wanted to reach back to the last time we talked about this very topic. Doug, you went back and found the podcast where we sort of marked it down. We kind of wrote it down in pencil or just sort of whispered it at each other back then. We weren't marking it down, but we did predict how many – I think the, the, the crux of the podcast was how many first-round picks Ohio State had on the, on the 2021 roster – or the 2020 roster, I can't remember. But then within that, we predicted how many first-round picks in 2022. Kind of take us back to that. Yeah, it was the March 31st podcast. The headline was the 15 first-round draft prospects on Ohio State's 2021 roster. So we were looking big picture, but we were putting guys like Paris Johnson and Jack Sawyer and Emeka Buka and guys like that in that list. But at the start of that podcast, the first thing we said was how many – 
draft pick, how many first round picks will they have in 2022, which is the podcast we're doing now. So the difference is one of the things is the mock drafts are out now for 2022. So it's not just us saying it. We have a couple other people saying it, which I think is why it's fun to do this, but also we're going to force ourselves to actually mark it down. Then Nathan, you said three, maybe four first round picks in 2022. Steven said three, maybe four. And I said two. And the guys we were in agreement on then were Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Uh, you guys had some disagreement around Nicholas Petit Frere and Zach Harrison, but that's, that's where we were. And then we were throwing some maybes out there with some guys, which uh, it's not maybe Monday, Nathan, not nope. maybe that's, that's a terrible name. Ah, maybe Monday. It could be this, but it could be that. Can you imagine? Terrible ratings for maybe Monday. Mark it down. No maybes anymore. But as I said in the email, it's like, well, if you're, if you're, you're allowed to change your mind, we're allowed to it, absorb information as humans and change our mind. People call that flip-flopping. I think that's wrong. If you're absorbing information and changing your mind, that's what a sophisticated individual does. If nothing has changed and you just don't think that anymore for no reason, then, I mean, that's not great. So I think if, if we're allowed to change our mind from March 31st, but we, you better explain what changed it, and maybe it's just that your thinking got more focused. That's okay. But you guys were both at like three and a half. And I was at two, you know, when we did this a month and a half ago. So it's only been five weeks. So that's another yeah. thing to remember here. Like, it's not like it was last March 31st or uh, in the, the wasteland of last summer when we were trying to come up with things. This was just five weeks ago. So it should be, I would assume, pretty close. And actually, I had forgotten that we had done it that recently. And... I had already written down my three picks for this time and was relieved to hear that it, it's very yeah. similar. So, Stephen, why don't you start us off? Mark it down. How many first-round NFL draft picks? Oh, Doug's got money. Mr. Mark it down, point of information for, sure. Chancellor, for Chancellor Baird. Mm -hmm. I know we're going to get into some specific names later. Right now, we are just marking down a number. Or are we supposed to say yeah, who? I, was say I think that's a good question. I think we should have to say who. It shouldn't just be the yeah, number. Yeah, I agree. Because the number gives you so many outts. It does. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because <clears throat> Baird yeah. has ruled. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. I was going to say that. I feel like we should. Yeah, it's got to be the name. So who will Ohio State's first-round draft picks be in 2022? So, Steven, start us off. Who are your guys? I'm going to – yeah, I'm going to say four, marking it down for obviously Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are the two wide receivers are going to do it. And then I said Nicholas Petit Fair pretty comfortably last time. I'll stick with that. Nicholas, I think there's a game out there where he could do a Rashawn Slater and all of his first, all every reason for why he's a first round draft pick is because of what he did in that game. And that's the Oregon game when he gets to go up against Kayvon Thibodeau and he can just do what Rashawn Slater did, what he just, and then once we get to the draft, how they were showing Rashawn Slater go up against Chase Young two years ago, they can do the same thing with Nicholas Petit Frere. And it's just like, look how great he is. He shut down a guy who might be the number of the draft. And then, I, 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 was, I was a maybe on Zach Harrison before. I'm just going to throw him – I'm going to say firmly he's going to be a first-round pick as well. Every mock draft I've seen, his name has been a first-rounder pretty comfortably in the first round. And also just the way the Ohio State coaching staff has talked about him all spring and the way he's talked about himself all spring, he might make that jump. Even if it's not top ten, he'll be a first-round draft pick. Before we move forward, why, why are you so confident in, in Nicholas Petit-Frere, I guess, just already having the baseline of a first-round pick – 
that will then, I guess, get emphasized by what he does in 2021. Yeah, for one, I, I don't think what side you play on as a tackle matters anymore because the best defensive ends in the league move. They go from side to side, right? Like Miles Garrett does it as well. He moves from side to side. But also, I, I just think Nicholas Petit Frere has got a higher ceiling than what Thayer Munford has as a tackle. And I th- still think he has a little bit more he can show to raise that ceiling even more this year. I don't Doug, think you that's quite right about that it doesn't matter which side. You're right that the best pass rushers flip sides, but – there's still a blind side for the quarterback. And you referenced when we talked about this last time, you talked about Jedrick Wills. Jedrick Wills yeah. was the right tackle at Alabama because Tua Tonga Vailoa was left-handed. Yeah. So he was their best tackle, but they put him on the right side because they had a left-handed quarterback. So then when the Browns moved him to the left side of the NFL, like he was, he was a blind side tackle. It's just that was flipped. Now, Tristan Wirfs was a right tackle at Iowa and stayed a right tackle in the NFL and was awesome as a rookie and went high, right? But when the Browns were having that discussion, Andrew Thomas, this is the draft two years ago, Andrew Thomas from Georgia, left tackle. Makai Becton from Louisville, left tackle. Wills was a right tackle that everybody knew needed to move to the left side. So I still think that being a left tackle from a draft standpoint does matter and where they put you in the NFL still matters some. I would agree it probably matters less than it used to, but I don't think it's equal. So I think someone that a team views as a left tackle would be still have a little bit higher draft standing than someone views as a right tackle. And I I do think there is a fascinating tackle discussion in here that in some ways mirrors Ohio State's receiver discussion because I think in both situations, there's kind of like an upside guy and a guy who might be more like a production guy. And I think that's probably a little more stark in the tackles than it is. I mean, it's not like Chris Webb hasn't produced, but like, I do think it's interesting. And it also mirrors what happened with the Alabama receivers in this draft that it's like, you look at, and it's like, well, this guy was the best this on a great college team but we're taking his teammate higher, even though the other guy was better. And I think that is interesting to talk around. And I think it applies to Ohio state in two ways. Well, I was going to bring it up now because I don't know that it's going to come up on either of our list. And I wanted Steven, cause I understand what you're saying where you're talking about right left tackle, left tackle, Steven, but I think you also admit the, the value that's there at left tackle and why that's a more yeah. sought after position. So considering that, why do you think Nicholas Petit Frere is a better NFL draft prospect coming out of 2021 than Thayer Munford would be? I wonder about Thayer Munford's medicals. I know he's healthy now, but NFL teams are going to still pull all of that up and see all those back issues he had early in his career as a blindside tackle. That's what he's been his entire career here. And I think some of those medicals might push him out of the first round and maybe push him down into the middle or even the end of the second round. While Nicholas Petitfer hasn't necessarily had any of those issues, he just had the normal progression that you've seen from five-star offensive linemen where you spend a year developing physically and you spend another year where maybe you start, maybe you don't. He didn't, obviously. But then you get on the field and you start and you're at an All-American level, All-Big Ten level, which is what he was at, whether he earned that All-American distinction or not. And then now in year four, he's going to go do it again and he might be the best him and Thayer Munford might be the best tackle duo in the country right now. And so it just, his progression seems a little bit more normal, even when you're comparing it to a guy who's going to be entering his fourth year as a starter. 
So I'm going to give mine now because mine is less dramatic and I'm, I'm more intrigued if, if Doug has changed his number or not, but I'm going to give mine now. And it's essentially the same list as Stevens, except I don't have either of the tackles on it. I have Olave and Wilson, and then I have Zach Harrison. And I can remember there was a point where we had a conversation. We'll get to the receivers here in a little bit, but we also had a conversation about Zach Harrison specifically and about, I was the one kind of floating it out there. Like, well, maybe he's just not that great. Maybe he's just a really good player, but maybe he's not that elite level Ohio State defensive end. And I don't know if there's any shame in that. I just, you know, maybe he just wasn't going to get to the Bosa, Young, whoever else level at the top of the first round. I still think with his underlying talent, that five-star talent that he has had just simmering there for a while, and then what was reinforced with us, I think, this spring and the way that Ryan Day was sort of jumping out in front of it and, and talking about the commitment that he's seeing from him and a different level of sort of um, just focus and a different level of play potentially coming from him. I mean, him putting that ex excitement out there in the world, like maybe it is to kind of show some level of confidence in the player and you want the player to see that. But it, I don't know that he would, he would do it if he didn't, believe it too I think there's there's a there's an underlying belief there that Ohio State thinks the Zach Harrison that it recruited is coming so I, I at the time that we said that back on March 31st I was thinking I guess from what it sounds like Doug I didn't go back and listen but it sounds like I was saying like well one of these two defensive ends I'm just taking the gamble that one of those two emerges as a first rounder but I'll mark it down and say I think it's Zach Harrison and it may not be again up at that up at the top of the draft but I think somewhere he ends up in the first round yeah you were yeah, you were uh, uh, sort of talked about both defensive ends, but then firmly came down on Harrison ahead of Tyreek Smith in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, Nathan, did you go through like a bunch of mock drafts that are out there for 2022? I have looked at them. I didn't like go back and, and write them down for this, but they, you okay. do see some of the same names. Uh, I wrote them down. Okay. So Zach Harrison's on everybody's list. Mm -hmm. yeah like like if you're so I, I went I wrote down like seven that I kind of there's two that I have the most faith in listen let's just be honest here and I want to get into this at the end like looking back at a mock draft that was done a year ago for the 2021 draft and how accurate was it from our own Matt Gould at cleveland.com who's a high school writer Matt Gould's not crunching tape of NFL prospects but he does a year ahead mock draft for us because it's fun but no offense to Matt, he does his mock draft based on everybody else's mock draft and like reading big boards and look, he's not doing it based on his own scouting evaluation because he doesn't have time to do that. It's not his job. So there are two mock drafts out right now that I think are people basing it on their own eyeballs and their scouting evaluation personally and who they talk to. And it's Dane Brugler from The Athletic and Mike Renner from PFF. And then everybody else's mock draft is based on their mock drafts. So... I did include, there's a couple guys that I trust that I know a little bit that I include them in there. Here are the mock drafts. Mike Renner from PFF, Zach Harrison, first round at number 27. Dane Brugler, The Athletic, Zach Harrison, first round at number 25. Matt Gould, our own Matt Gould, Zach Harrison, first round at number 12. Brett Soboleski from Bleacher Report, who I've interacted with. He's a good guy. He does do some scouting on his own. He's not just a regurgitate guy. Zach Harrison, number 22 in the first round. Derek Clawson, who we had on the podcast to talk about Justin Fields a couple weeks ago, did this for Embassy Sports. Derek Clawson, Zach Harrison, number 23 in the first round. And then Chris Hummer from 247 Sports, Zach Harrison, number 26 in the first round. And then there's this mock draft site that has like, come, like gathers every mock draft in the universe 
and makes a consensus thing. Zach Harrison, this got a little weird for me, and we can dig into this if we want to, Nathan. Zach Harrison, number eight in their draft. And it's because there are a couple drafts in there. Like, I don't even know who the people are. Some of them don't even use their real name, but that gets folded in that have Zach Harrison in the top five. Mm -hmm. So here's my thing on Zach Harrison. The th we talk about, obviously, the two Boses and Chase Young. 3-2-2. Two, two. Amazing, unbelievable, crazy. The last Ohio State defensive end who was drafted in the first round that wasn't drafted in the top three was Cameron Hayward more than a decade ago, and he went number 31. So it's not like Ohio State like, – then like Taekwondo Lewis is a second rounder, Sam Hubbard's a third rounder, like Jonathan Cooper's a seventh rounder, like – Okay, there's one thing to be a Bosa or a Young. And we have talked about, is Zach Harrison that? And that's a lot of our discussion. Is he that or not? Because in recruiting, he was. In his progress here so far, is he? Like, it's It's so hard to, because it looked like it a little bit as a freshman, right? I thought that there were, like, tangible signs from his freshman year that he was on that trajectory. And then we don't get a great sense of – his sophomore year trajectory because of all the crap that happened last year. I, I think that does make it a little bit more difficult. Now you're comparing him to the other guys on the roster, I suppose, and other players in college football and what they were doing. But it does, it does make me wonder if, if he would have looked like more during a more regular season. If yeah. Would, I was going to have a more favorable impression of him from a full 12 game, regular season, normal progress, all that stuff. I was going to say that is he allowed are we allowed to use that excuse of he also went through a pandemic last year and didn't get a normal spring and a fall. Listen, so listen, everybody in the world went through a pandemic. Of right. course it affected everybody, but you're going against your peer group who had affected everybody. So I do think I don't really for the rest of our time on this podcast, want to talk about the pandemic when we're comparing peer groups, when we are comparing Zach Harrison's progress in year two to Nick Bosa and Chase Young and Joey Bosa's progress in year two in normal times. Yes, Steven, I do think it is a valid thing to bring up for sure because we're talking about history. When we're trying to compare Zach Harrison to some defensive end from Ole Miss, I don't care because he went mm -hmm. through the pandemic too. But right. in this context, I think, of course, yeah, it does matter for sure. I because it slowed. If you, if you look at what he did, I mean, I compared it back when I compared the 2020 room with the 2017 room would be from a rotation standpoint. His numbers as a freshman are pretty similar to what Nick Bosa did. Nick Bosa had a sack and a half more, and I think in a, a, a sack and a tackle for loss and a half more than what Zach Harrison did. But their tackles are pretty similar for the roles they were in. Things are pretty similar there. And then it slowed drastically in sophomore year while with Nick Bosa and even with Chase Young, those guys just took off and they were out of here. I mean, we talk about Chase Young being hurt and having ankle injuries. He still had 10 sacks his sophomore year. Yeah. I wrote a piece for the site that's uh, on Friday morning about Sean Wade and how the Ravens said that they went back and they, they let the pandemic influence their draft evaluations because they, they made sure to go back and look at 2019 for guys and then kind of marry those two together and come up with a grade, which I think makes sense that it's taking the, the fact that the 2020 was going to, the panic was going to corrupt that, that draft Intel a little bit. They still only took Sean Wade in the fifth round though. They didn't go back and draft him based on his 2019 status. I think it's the other thing to remember is what we're saying about Zach Harrison is that the, the play was, fine in 2020 it wasn't like he was a liability out there but no, what he was we just good. he was yeah. good yeah. but what you, good. you weren't seeing 
top end of the first round flashes the way I think we thought we might see that progression happen. But Ohio State still has its coaches saying, but it's there, like it's coming. Like they, they are expressing confidence in that publicly. It's not even something that they necessarily have to be asked about. Ryan Day was, like I said, kind of jumping out in front and throwing it out there. So I'm basing some of my – it's not just the, 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 the pedigree he has coming in as a, a five-star guy, ranked as high as he was. I do think those things matter when you start to reevaluate guys going off to the NFL. But I, I, I also am just kind of basing this on the confidence that I sort of feel coming from the coaching staff and what they think is coming for Zach Harrison. So, Doug, back when we did this on March 31st, you only picked Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson to be first-round picks for 2022. Are you marking that down? I am. And if you would have – if it's only the number, if I had to pick a number to mark down, I would mark down three. If I have to pick people – I'm only picking two people because I would pick Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and somebody else. Some combination of a 20% chance it's Zach Harrison, an 18% chance it's Tyreek Smith, it's Nicholas Petit Frere, it's Thayer Munford, it's Seven Banks, who we'll talk about, who we haven't talked about yet. It's Haskell Garrett, who I saw on at least one mock draft. It's somebody. Jeremy Ruckert. Jeremy Ruckert. I absolutely, like, I just, I don't know who. But I would bet on somebody over nobody in the third spot, but I am not confident enough to bet on any of those guys by name because primarily. So let's talk about Zach Harrison first. Cam Hayward had a really good junior year and I books coming out September 14th. There's a Cam Hayward chapter. Cam Hayward was having a really good junior year. There's a lot of talk about whether he was going to come out or not. And he didn't. He stayed in school and went from like a really good player to like an awesome player. And he did it because like he didn't need to go, right? And he didn't quite accomplish everything he wanted to accomplish. There's just too much of that in the back of my head about Zach Harrison. I think there's a chance that he is a very, very good player this year who, if he comes back as a senior, could make himself a top five pick. And he has, a, he has the kind of – he comes from the kind of family life where he doesn't have to go. It will be up to him if he wants to be a captain, if he wants to get his degree. I don't know where he is. Maybe he can get his degree in three years, right? But if he wants to be in college for four years, his sophomore year got jacked up, right? I just – there's too much in my head to mark him down. I can't mark down Petit Frere because he's a right tackle and I don't think he's shown it yet. That's a jump on him making a jump. Thayer Munford, I think is fascinating as much as Nathan, as much as Steven brought up the, like the cable on Thibodeau thing, whatever, like the film of like, Hey, blocking a great defensive end. I'm waiting for like Jason Oway film from 2020 to show up for both Petit Frere and Thayer Munford because Oway did nothing. And he was a first round pick. He did nothing in that Penn state Ohio state game in 2020 yes Thayer's medicals are going to be an issue if he's just a wall on every play and somebody goes he's a wall like you can't get around him we're taking him at 29 like I think it's possible so I think all those guys and then Tyreek Smith having an explosion on the board to me so I think all four got all those four guys both ends both tackles are reasonable to me but I can't go there because I think at the moment to me, Zach Harrison, and it's not a big group. He's somewhere between like Chase Young and Taekwon Lewis. So 
I think he's more naturally talented than Tyquan Lewis, who was the Big Ten Defensive Lineman of the Year, was the 64th pick in the draft late in the second round. And he certainly has not yet shown Chase Young-type stuff yet, who was the number two pick. So what's between 64 and two? It's like right on the edge of late first, early second. And I just think throwing the fact that it, right now I'm thinking he's a candidate to stay, I think he'll be very good this year. Will he be first round good? I'm not going to mark that down. So I'll stick with the two. The word is a need, but it would be very helpful if Zach Harrison was a first rounder in the 20s. Because you're right. Right now, the the bar is either you're the first defensive player taken off the board as the number two pick in the draft, and the only reason you weren't number one is because the quarterback was awesome, or you're a second round draft. There's no middle ground there yet. And for him to be the starter of that middle ground here, as we're seeing a bunch of Ohio five stars come through the pipeline, it's not a change of expectations. You still think that. Ohio State should have first-round defensive ends, but your expectation doesn't always have to be you should be the number two pick in the draft the way Nick Bosa and Chase Young were and the number, what, three pick, three or four pick in the draft the way Joey Bosa was. And if we are at – I think it's probably better for Ohio State if he's the number two pick in the draft. It it, it is. I'm just saying, like, you know, yeah, I know. Just to make sure we're clear what we're talking about. Financially as well, too. I'm just saying, like, to the point of there's no middle ground with the defensive ends right now, you're either number number two or you're number – 37 or something like that there's no middle ground with the first rounders right now for at least and while with the defensive backs you've seen it go all the way up the board you've seen Jeff Okuda be number three but you've seen Damon Arnett be number 19 you've seen number 24 you've seen everything in between not everybody's the top five pick in the draft and by the 2022 season with name image and likeness it's possible that the Zach and Jack sack attack is a multi-million dollar business and Zach Harrison doesn't need to go anywhere what would they be selling? They'd be selling yeah. like like garbage bags or so, something. Like you could have like a sack of lunch. Yeah, they could get some sort of sponsorship with like Subway or Jimmy John's or it's a yeah, lifestyle. It's, it could literally be like it could be a um a charity thing where it's like for every sack we get not Subway, charity. We'll give out charity. No the charity. About charity. I'm saying there's no. a charity. Okay, fine. I'm also trying listen, I'm also trying to make these people good good people, okay? Jack's a pretty good person. What I'm saying is, okay, they get paid as well, yes. But also it could be Subway could say, hey, for every sack Jack and, and Zach get, we will donate 100 sacks of lunch to a school of their choice. I'm going to start acting on, as their agent on behalf of the Zach and Jack sack attack and taking uh, pitches from sub um, restaurants, right? So, um, you know, but also, but again, it's a lifestyle brand. Like you want to go out the Zach and Jack sack attack. It's about sacking. It's about sacking life, man. You know, like it's, you can, you can put anything under that umbrella. So, I mean, I just think that I just think that again, it's a tiebreaker. It's a tiebreaker for me, not marking him down in the first round next year. So when I asked the texters, I did just ask the number I asked how many first round picks will Ohio state have in the 2022 NFL draft. And uh, for those of you who took the survey, yes, I screwed it up. I put it a ranking thing instead of just picking the number. I'm not sure how that happened. But uh, this time I can't blame the robots. I can blame the robots for why the Friday podcast was a little screwed up, but not for this. This was my mistake. But I can still tell you that 40% of the people who responded picked three as the number and 30.6%, so just under 31%, picked four. So 71% of our audience thinks it'll be either three or four numbers, three or four first round picks, and then another 13% picked two. So they're... 
the, the three answers we gave are the three most popular answers. You know, um, a couple people, uh, 8%, just under 9% said five, which would be a, a huge haul. And Ohio State has done that a couple times, but I think it would take a pretty extraordinary year to get there. That was a, a 9% of the people picked five. And then hardly anybody said six or more, I guess five percent. So a handful said six or more, which would be kind of an insane. That'd be like one the of those record Alabama is six. Drafts. Yeah. The record is six. Miami had it. Miami had it in 2004. Mm-hmm. and Bama tied it this year. So that right. would be insane. Ohio State's record is five in the 2016 draft and in the uh, 2006 draft. And then a total of 2% picking either one or zero. So I think that, that would be, I think, the biggest surprise, right? Okay. Three, four, five, even six, I think make would be less surprising than having one or certainly than having zero. Like this seems to be a year where there's just such a collection of talent at, again, some marquee positions that NFL teams really covet that to have zero one, I guess I could see something happens injury wise, or you just have a bunch of early second round picks, whatever, but zero almost seems like unfathomable at this point. Yeah. It's not going to happen. It it is unfathomable unless the Chinese rocket breaks into several pieces and hits, hits the apartments of all 10, (laughs) the 10 best draft prospects on Ohio state's current roster. Why you would speak that into existence, I'm not sure, but I thought that that was an interesting way to go with that. I want to jump ahead to actually what was our third question. We'll circle back to the second can, one. Can, 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 I give, can I guess give the raw numbers since sure. we're talking about the raw numbers? So Matt Gould, of, of the drafts I looked at, Matt Gould had five in his mock draft. A lot, a lot of ones out there have like five or six Ohio State guys in front of even if you don't include Marcus Hooker. Yeah. <laughs> Did you, we, we inviting that guy on or what? I did not reach out to that. I don't know that that's worth anybody's time. Uh, so Matt Gould had Olave, Wilson, Harrison, NPF, and Tyreek Smith. Uh, a lot of people had four. Derek Klassen had four. Klassen had Olave, Seven Banks, Thayer Munford, Zach Harrison. He doesn't have Garrett Wilson, which like almost makes me want to reach out to him to be like, do you have a take on Garrett Wilson or did you just miss? Did you forget him? Because I think he probably forgot him, which is fine. Either way, that's not okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, people make mistakes, but like, if you were like, "Oh my God," or if you're like, "Oh no, I don't think Garrett Wilson's a first round pick," and here's why, I'm here. I would like to hear that argument. Uh, Brent Sabaluski for Olave Wilson, Harrison Haskell, Garrett. So it's like there are seven names. As much as we're talking, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's like Garrett's been thrown in, Munford's been thrown in, Banks has been thrown in, right? In in addition, Tyreek's been thrown in. That's four. There's actually eight names. I mean, it's crazy. Um, the consensus is four. Harrison Olave, Wilson Banks, Brugler and Renner are the two most legit, in my opinion, each had three. And that they each have the two receivers and Zach Harrison. So they, they did none of the none of the two main guys stretched for NPF or Haskell Garrett or Tyreek Smith or Seven Banks or Thayer Munford. No love for Todd McShay, huh, Doug? What did he say? Did he do his? He did. His, his came out, uh, I think, two days ago. He also had Garrett, uh, Zach, and, and Chris. Okay. Zach was, I think, in the 20s. Yeah, those seem to be like the baseline guys. There's like three or four baseline guys and then sprinkling in some other guys. So we're going to talk about that in a minute. Actually, let's take a break here. We're going to come back and keep marking it down on this Monday on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back on Buckeye Talk. We marked down how many Ohio State – actually, we marked down who – the Ohio State first-round picks will be in the 2022 NFL draft. We both, or well, three of us picked 
Zach Will, Zach Wilson, <laughs> Garrett Wilson, and Chris Olave to be first round picks. So one of the questions I sent to the texters, and actually uh, texters have been asking us this. Uh, Camden Coon texted, uh, "How close do you guys think Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are? It's obvious that there is a talent differential between the two. Yet time and time again, Olave has been the man. Are they both first rounders? And if so, how many picks separate them?" Uh, here's another one from the 419. I know you guys will say Wilson, but mark me down for Olave being drafted before him. I'm hoping on this pod, too, you can detail a bit more why earlier all three of you unanimously had Wilson, number one, in your Buckeye drafts. My friends and I had it the other way around. Why are we wrong? And then another one from the 419. I think Wilson Olave draft order might be determined by who has the better combine. So one of the other questions we put out to the texters and one that we're going to answer ourselves is who gets picked first, Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave? Steven, I don't think we even need to ask you your answer, but go ahead. I'm taking – I mean, Garrett's going to go first. And the reason why is – I thought this before the 2021 draft happened, and that just validated it for me, the fact that Jalen Waddle still went before Devontae Smith, even though Devontae Smith won the freaking Heisman this past year. I, I think when you – the reason why we all thought Garrett Wilson would go higher than Chris Olave, and we'll see if you guys still feel that way, is – I mean, Nathan, you use this example all the time. If you have two guys who are the exact same speed, except one guy has great running form and the other guy is a little weird with it, you take the guy who's a little weird with it because you can always fix it, and he probably gets faster. Garrett's been awesome the last two years, but it always seems like he's working just strictly off of what his raw talent is. And there's still some technical stuff that he's developing here. While with Chris Olave, everything that makes him great is the fact that he's really fast, but he also has soft hands and he's a great route runner. The soft hands and the route running part of this stuff, a lot of that is developed whether it was in high school or when he got here and got under Brian Hartland, that's a lot of stuff about him. That's been truly developed while with Garrett Wilson, it's just, he can catch everything. And it, it, he's, he's, for a guy who's only, what, six foot, 190 pounds, he plays a lot more physical than that. And there just seems to be a higher ceiling because look what he's done as a guy who's not even cle- completely developed yet, only been in a program for two years. And how much better can he get once he catches up to Chris Olave from a technical standpoint? Doug, what are your thoughts? So Brugler and Renner both have Wilson higher than Olave. The other four mock drafts that I looked at have Olave ahead of Wilson, and the consensus has Olave ahead of Wilson. I would say Wilson, but not for this exact same reasons that Steven said. I'm going to guess – I think Garrett's more explosive. I think Chris Olave is like a better deep ball threat. I bet you they'll run similar. I think Olave has maybe is even as tad faster. I bet Garrett's vertical – might be significantly better than Chris Olave's. Mm-hmm. And I think like his three cone drill, sort of like that short area explosiveness might be really off the charts. And I do think, as I said before, and as Steven emphasized, the, the comparison between the Alabama guys, I think is interesting. I just think Waddle's more explosive and like Devontae is like super productive. And that even, you know, Waddle got hurt and still went ahead of him. Like, that was as crazy as, like, Waddle got hurt, Devontae Smith won the Heisman, and Waddle still won ahead of him. And we didn't know for sure going into the draft which way it would go, but they ended up, Miami at number six, wound up picking a little bit more on traits than on production. And so I think it is that, I do think Garrett, I agree with what Steven said, I think Garrett's a little more physical. And I think Garrett can still be a deep threat, but I think he's just like a little he's done a few more things, right? Like the, that he's played slot and outside. I think I like Garrett a little more like being physical over the middle of the field and like exploding 
to fight for a ball in the air while Olave is a little smoother. So, I mean, it's, I, I do agree with a lot of what Steven said, but I, I think some of the combine stuff might pop in terms of, like, some of those drills I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And it's mostly just explosiveness. I mean, Garrett's only a year younger than Olave, And Olave only played, like, three games at the end of his first year. So it's not like – I mean, the number of snaps, the number of important reps, Olave isn't a ton ahead of Garrett, frankly, like, in terms of, like, development. And – you know, Chris was like a lower-rated recruit, and we know why, because he was hurt and he kind of they missed the evaluation. But he's a really talented dude. So I think it's explosiveness. I think it's explosiveness and physicality and maybe a little bit of versatility with what he's played. I think Garrett will be the first receiver taken. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know that a team would take Chris Olave as the first receiver off the board, although you will find it in the consensus mock drafting. You can find people, I don't know who they are, who say Chris Olave is going to be the fourth pick in the draft. So my guess would be right now that Garrett goes in the top 10 and Olave goes in the teens. I think something that can influence the mocks is something like the fact that Chris Olave came back. Like there was this assumption that he was going to be in this draft and maybe even a first round pick in this draft or high second. So the fact that he's coming back, it's just one of those, it's in the forefront of people's minds as they're putting together these lists. I think that could sometimes influence where where guys get ranked. But I also would put Garrett Wilson ahead of Chris Olave. I don't think it's like a huge gap by any means necessarily. But I think if you have to pick one or the other, I, I, I lean towards what Doug is saying, the explosiveness, just kind of the underlying athletic package. And I think that matters to NFL teams at the end of the day. I think we've seen that numerous times as guys have gotten drafted over the years, that that's why the combine is important. That's why the fact that somebody was a a big time prospect, as opposed to a guy who was maybe low ranked and produced, like you said, we know why Garrett, why Chris Olave was not, we know why Chris Olave was ranked a three star as low as he was. I, I don't know that necessarily means he should have been a five star though. We know why Garrett Wilson was a five star prospect. Like it's, all right out there on film in front of your eyes. And I think the explosiveness is something that will, will come into that. I also do like the idea of the versatility that he's shown, you know, spending a year in the slot and being tremendous at it, moving back outside. We all kind of assume that he'll have another pretty productive year outside. I think that's something that NFL teams will see some value in that you don't when whichever place they decide to put him, he won't be doing it for the first time. I think a good way to, to map out how this could have gone had Chris Olave not decided to come back this year is Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. You know, Justin Jefferson was a 22nd pick in the 2020 draft, which was, I think, what, the third or fourth receiver taken off the board, which is around what we thought Chris Olave would be a first rounder, but in the 20s. And then Jamar Chase was the first wide receiver taken off the board at number five. That is, I mean, Chris Olave came back, so obviously we're going to use the, the Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle comparison, but that's probably how this would have played out. One of those guys would have been in the 20s, and the other one would have been in the top 10. One's a year older than the other one, but we know which one is the more explosive receiver between Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, even though Justin Jefferson had like 40 more catches than Jamar Chase had. And then Justin Jefferson was like the best offensive rookie in the NFL. Right, right. But, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about where they're going to get picked. We're talking about traits mm-hmm. and production and like, I mean, if we want to have a conversation at some point about like, who's going to be the better NFL player, I'm not saying I would change my mind. It's not the same conversation though. No. We're talking about where they're going to get picked. And I think that's where like traits explosion comes into it. Uh, Mike Renner, Wilson at 15, Olave at 26. Dane Brugler, Wilson at 16, Olave at 30. Both of them 
Garrett Wilson first receiver drafted? Our textures agreed with us. They had Garrett Wilson, 77% of them saying Garrett Wilson drafted ahead of Chris Olave. So we move on to the other question, which is which Ohio State player will be selected first in the 2022 NFL draft? Doug, you said Wilson will be the first receiver off the board. You rank him above Olave. So that answers the question. You think, unless it's that nebulous third no. potential person. So you think Garrett Wilson will be the first Buckeye taken in the 2022 NFL draft? Yes. Steven, who do you think the first Ohio State player will be taken in the 2022 NFL draft? Yeah, it'll be Garrett and Chris Olave should be second. Should we do an extra of who will be the first player not named Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson taken just for the sake of actually having a conversation about this? Yeah, we can do that. I, I also would put Garrett Wilson first. And I actually let's let's I, I had another exercise I wanted us to do, which was we, we, we all kind of said there's these three, two or three guaranteed guys that we think are going in. So I wanted us to kind of run down the rest of the list real quick and just say whether we think these guys are definite first rounders, possible first rounders or no chance because there's a big in, collection in 2022 of for 2022. OK, by the way, just as a heads up for everybody mm -hmm. listening. Uh, this is going to be a long podcast because I have like five things that I haven't gotten to say yet that I want to double back on a couple things, but I am enjoying this conversation, but buckle up. Go ahead. Do you want to, do you want to double back on those now before we move on to something else? I have a else? receiver point that I would like to make let's that make, I did a no, of research on. Okay. Here are the receivers that these, the two guys I'm basing on picked in the first round. And Steven, if you want to reference McShay, if you want to check the other receivers he had in the first round, that's fine. I should have done him yeah. too. And I didn't. So, uh, Mike Renner had Garrett Wilson at 15, Dominic Blaylock from Georgia at 25. I don't know who that is. 26 Olave and number 30, Traylon Burks from Arkansas. Dane Brugger had Wilson at 16, number 18, Traylon Burks from Arkansas, number 29, John Mechie from Alabama, who we're all very familiar with, number 30, Olave. So we had Mechie ahead of Olave and number 32, Justin Ross, our friend from Clemson who missed all of last year. This Traylon Burks guy, who I didn't know anything about until I saw these lists, he's 6'3". He's got a huge catch radius. Like, that's an interesting guy because one thing Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson aren't going to do between now and next year's draft is grow. So I think you have to watch for that Burks guy as like a big, like a big receiver that they just can't be. But that, like, is not a great class. Like, I will – if Justin Ross goes ahead of the Ohio State guys, I will be dumbfounded. Because he's been a little – I mean, he's, he has a huge, entirely missed year, and I think he's been a little more hype than production anyway. It's like he's never been the best receiver on his team. T. Higgins was like the guy who drove that offense two years ago. It wasn't him. And then, like, but I think this Traylon Burks guy is, is worth watching. And then John Mechie is going to be the number one receiver for Alabama and get a boatload of targets from Bryce Young. So his production may be through the roof, and Bama has been pumping out the receivers. I don't think he's a better football player than Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave, though. So it's one of those things, right? We saw Jamar Chase coming a year ago, Stephen. Like, if, if Jamar Chase was Jamar Chase, but a year later, we'd be like, oh, man, it doesn't matter how good Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave is. I don't, I don't think they're going to be the first receivers because Chase is Chase. And you could see Waddle and Smith coming. Matt Gould a year ago had Waddle and Smith both in the first round. I just think it's an interesting rec receiver crop for them like, if there would be a bet on, will the first receiver taken in 2022 be an Ohio State receiver, I would hit that bet. Because I think that there's not the obvious competition for them other than this Burks guy from Arkansas. Justin Ross is interesting because you're right. He hasn't been – he probably would have been their number one receiver last year had he not had those issues. But also, 
he's going to get every target he wants this coming upcoming season because it's going to be him and DJ Uyunglele. So I, I don't know. Does he? Does DJ target him every third down? Every third down, and then every other snap besides the third down, and Justin Ross ends up with ninety catches for fourteen hundred yards and sixteen touchdowns. I wouldn't be shocked if that happened for a first-year starting quarterback. Who, even if Justin Ross didn't play last year, I mean, he helped them win a national championship as a true freshman when he started exploding, and then he was the second best receiver as a sophomore in a team who got to the national championship game. So I won't write it off. Right now, no, I'd say it's probably going to be a Buckeye, but I won't write that off. But just for the main – McShay had Chris Olave at number 12. That's the first wide receiver taken. And then George Pickens out of Georgia, the number 19 pick in that draft. And then he goes John Mechie at number 22, and then, and then he finishes it out with Garrett Wilson. The depth of the draft class at a specific position is an important thing to consider. And the 2021 one was pretty loaded. I was, again, going back to the Ravens, who I was listening to their stuff again because uh, something I wrote about Sean Wade. They took Rashad Bamer from Minnesota in the first round. They took the uh, Oklahoma State receiver, uh, Tylen Wallace, in the fourth round. So they took two receivers in this draft. Somebody asked them about that. And I think they were doing their press conference before the end of the draft because I think they maybe didn't have any seventh round or something like that. And they're like, man, there's still a bunch of good receivers in there on the board. Like, we're, we're, like they're walking out of the room being like, man, that guy just got taken. Like, there's still some great receivers in there on the board. This was a draft, I think, um, the, the Indiana guy. Um, Wap Fillier didn't get picked. Did not get right, picked. Yeah. I mean, so, like, really productive guys falling out of all seven rounds. So, this – and that may have been a factor for Chris Olave. I don't know. He didn't mention the depth of this class as a, a factor in why he stayed another year but I think you're right I think there are signs that next year's receiver class as good as Chris Olive and Garrett Wilson are on their own next year's receiver class might be uh, a little bit of a dip anything else you wanted to bring up Doug you said you had no that was the, the I, I want to get into uh Matt Gould's how he did on a mock draft a year away because okay. we'll take into account again it's like well these mock drafts a year out it's like ah what do they know and it's like well you know so, um, again, Matt Gould, who has five Buckeyes in his first round for Cleveland.com. Before we get out of here, I just want to go through what he said a year ago. I think that's a great idea. I, I do want to kind of run down, like I said, I want to set this, kind of set some parameters on where we see all of the contenders on this roster. So, we all said Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson will be first rounders. Steven and I both said Zach Harrison will be first rounders. Steven also said Nicholas Petit Frere. I would put him in the possible category. Would you put, Doug, would you say possible or no chance for Zach Harrison or Nicholas Petit-Frere to be drafted in the first round? Definitely possible. I think both of those make sense. So how about for all three of us? Thayer Munford. I would say I would probably even lean no chance on Thayer Munford. That might be harsh. and It's not because I don't think he's a good player, but just with the medicals and some of the other things, I, I'm skeptical of that. Would you guys say possible, no chance? I would say between possible and no chance. If those are my only two choices, I would say possible. Listen, the medic, he's had a back surgery, but so did Caleb Farley. Caleb Farley, the Virginia yeah. Tech cornerback, had back surgeries, and I think it may have affected how his draft status went, but he still went in the first round. He was still the third yeah. corner off the board, and that's corner. Yeah. So I don't think it precludes him. I don't have a handle on Thayer Munford. I think it is possible that Thayer Munford is a somewhat significantly better college player than I realize right now. And I think he's pretty freaking good. Mm -hmm. And I think it's possible that he is a much better NFL draft prospect 
than I am thinking right now. Because if all he does is stonewall defensive ends at Ohio State, and it's like, well, what I like, what are uh, what are you looking for? Yes, the medicals. But like, other than that, what else are you looking for? We're just knocking him down because he was a three-star recruit. He's a four-year starter at tackle yeah. at Ohio State, and nobody can get around him. And it's like, could he go in the first round? Heck, yes, he could go in the first round. What's the difference between Taylor Decker and Thayer Munford? I don't, I don't necessarily know, except what my perception is based on recruiting rankings and his injury history. And that while he was being injured, I don't think he was great every game because he was playing through injury. He got his back fixed. And then when he played with a fixed back in 2020, nobody could get around him. Nobody did anything against him. So like if he lays that out again, yeah, he can be a first rounder. Yeah, I think you're talking me in the possible. But I agree with what you're saying that it's difficult to gauge him. Like, is he I mean, again, I only have a couple years of Ohio State, like more intimate knowledge to compare this to, but like, is he the Malik Harrison of left tackles? Is he the Jonathan Cooper of left tackles? Or is he a first round pick? I think all those are Malik. all those are really good players. I think he might be the Malik Harrison, honestly, where he's really good, but I think his you can get him for really good value in the second round. Which is why I might lean. I'm probably in the middle, as like you are, Doug, where it's impossible to no chance, but I might lean a little bit more towards no chance because his value might just peak up at number 42 or whatnot. So Taylor Decker was a multi-year starter at left tackle here. He started at right tackle for a year and left tackle for two years. He was a first-round pick. Jamarco Jones was a multi-year left starter at left tackle here. He waited his turn for two years, and he was a two-year starter at left tackle. He was a fifth-round pick. I'm pretty sure Thayer Bunford is in between those two. <laughs> Mm-hmm. but that's a wide gap between the first yeah. and fifth round. Yeah. But I am interested in the thing that in marking down what Steven said, which is if we mark down right now, like who will be like the third guy picked. And I don't know, maybe you guys think Harrison slides in ahead of one of the receivers. But since I only have two guys in the first round, I would like to mark down who I think the third buck I drafted in 2022 will be. I, I was going to say, I was going to say Harrison for mine, and I don't know what Steven was going to say. Would you say Harrison for yours, too? Yeah, Harrison for me. Um, let's put a pin in that, though, because I, there's a couple other guys I want to ask about, and then I think your answer will we – can, we can close out with your answer. Um, seven Banks, possible first-round pick, no chance first-round pick. He's showing up on a lot of mock drafts. Consensus number 23 on that site. Consensus number 23. Not in Brugler's, not in Renner's, not in Ghoul's, not in Brent Sobolewski's. Number 17 for Derek Klassen. Number, and then, like, of the six I looked at, he's only in one, but yet he's a consensus pick somehow. I think the consensus pick is people who don't know any better being like, oh, Ohio State's best corner. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah. well, I mean, that's not – in theory, that's not a terrible way to think. But I don't think it. So I would say – I mean, I mean, is it is it possible? I mean, anything's possible, right? I could get hit by a Chinese rocket in the next five minutes. Anything's possible. But I would say the no answer. I just, I just don't, I don't think it's gonna happen. I don't think he's quite that. And again, if I'm being influenced by recruiting rankings, he was a three-star recruit. Like Marshawn Lattimore was hurt for two years, but when he did it, he's like a five-star who finally got healthy and then popped. 
Seven Banks is, could be on the Gary on Conley path. And I think Gary on Conley was like a nice, solid guy. And then in his final year, got played well enough to get picked in the first round. But Gary on Conley also had Marshawn Lattimore, Denzel Ward, and Malik Hooker with him. And I think it lifted him up. And I'm not sure he actually should have been a first round pick, which again, Damon Arnett, by the way, should not have been a first round pick. But are we are we going on like what's the correct thing to do or what's going to happen? I don't know. The Raiders might take Thayer Munford and Seven Banks in the first round. I, I don't know what the hell the Raiders are doing. I said the hell word. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like I, I mean, it's like they, they do inexplicable things. They take like pretty good players from great programs that are like if you ask the people at the programs, are they a first round pick? It's like no. So I think Seven Banks might be better than Damon Arnett. I think he might be better than Gary on Conley, but I don't think either of those two guys should have been first round picks. I'm not saying they should have been sixth round picks, but a first round pick, not on my team. So they probably should have gone in the second round. Could seven banks be overdrafted? I guess, but I would pick no for him right now. It depends on when the Raiders are going to draft because that's going to make the decision of whether or not this time the Gary once, if once again, the Gary on Conley or Damon Arnett of Ohio state cornerbacks once again, goes in the first round because the Raiders think they're smarter than everybody else. But no, Doug said exactly what I was going to say. There's no Jeff Okuda or Marshawn Lattimore on the roster this time to lift him up. Unless we think Brian Watts is just going to take off or Cam Brown's going to take off after dealing with some injuries. There's that guy doesn't exist. So you'll get a true evaluation of what he is. And now I do think every year we're going to get to this point where they're doing way too early NFL draft picks and there's going to be an Ohio state corner in there. So next year, when we do this, if when seven banks isn't a first rounder, Ryan Watts or Leslie Cavazos will be thrown in there. And then Kalen Johnson or Jordan Hancock will be thrown in there. There's always going to be a guy on these way too early lists. But once we get to the draft, I think we're still two years away from getting back to there being first rounders at cornerback for Ohio State. I also think Seven Banks was a pretty good football player in 2020. He was. I don't don't, want to underestimate that. But we're not talking about pretty good football player. We're talking about first round pick. I'm in the process of doing sort of a, a review, a film review of him for the whole season and kind of going snap by snap. And, and what did I see? And it's kind of based on this idea of whether he's a first round draft pick or not. I teased that out on the text the other day. I am currently one game into that review. So I only have seven more to go. I'm trying to get it done by early next week. Um, I, I think again, if this were a podcast for the faint of heart, I would put like unlikely and then no chance, but that's not how we roll here. This is market down Monday. So I would also say no chance, uh, but you know, a a guy who could certainly prove us wrong. I think he will still be, I think he's an NFL player. I think he'll get picked next year. I just, first round is is a tough call for me. He might Um, be a second round pick for all we know. Yeah. Um, Tyreek Smith. I I think this is all a guy we would put in the possible category, right? Because he's not that far off of Zach Harrison. No, and and he's had some health things, and if he gets healthy and is like, wow, I I mean, again, I thought the edge rushers in this class were very, very – I mean, everybody did. That's not just me. But it's like, could Tyreek Smith – and this applies to Zach Harrison too. Could they be as good as like Jason Owe and Quiddy Pay? Yes, they could. And both those guys are Big Ten edge rushers who went in the first round. Could they be as great as, as Greg Rousseau? Yeah, they could be. So, yeah, you have to put possible. Yeah. Without, that, that's always on the table is him just having an exploding year being a first rounder. So, yeah. Jeremy Ruckert, which I think would probably be, would almost hinge on him being the best, best tight end in this class, which I haven't researched tight ends to know how many other good tight ends are in this draft class. But 
that being the case, and then also a team probably maybe drafting lower in the first round with a with a huge need at tight end. Like, do the the Chiefs feel like a tight end is the one thing keeping them from uh, the one the one thing they really have to plug to maintain their status? Something like that. I would still say, I think I would still say possible, just because positional scarcity might push him up in a way it wouldn't some of these other borderline guys. So the last, uh, let's see, last five years of the draft, 2017, three first-round tight ends, 2018, one, 2019, two, 2020, none, and 2021, only Kyle Pitts. So only one first-round tight end was, the last two years. And he was a unicorn. He was like the number four pick. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that's not, it's not worth, like, comparing it. I mean, am I going to do my thing again? Pat Fryermuth from Penn State was the second tight end off the board. He was the 55th overall player taken and he was second round pick. Kyle Pitts was fourth. I think Jeremy Ruckert is somewhere between Kyle Pitts and Pat Fryermuth. Listen, uh, we watched Pat Fryermuth. He's good. He's good. I think I'd rather have Jeremy Ruckert. So now we're talking about Jeremy Ruckert as a second round tight end. So it's like, is it impossible for him to be a first round pick? I guess it's not impossible possible but like when david and joku who was when the, the year five years ago when three first round tight ends went he was like 19 he was a super raw player he was a crazy athlete he was really young the browns traded up to get him late in the first round and it was like all potential at a time when people were looking like we're looking for crazy crazy athletes at tight end right and, he, and he's been an okay player but he has he shouldn't have been a first round pick so, like, Jeremy Ruckert as a fourth-year guy, right, he's very established. We all know what Jeremy Ruckert is. And he's not going to get there on production, and he's not going to get into the first round on, like, ooh, untapped potential. So, just because of that, I think it would be very hard for him to get into the first round. But if, you, if I had to bet right now, 2022 draft rounds, one through seven, where, were, where will Jeremy Ruckert go? probably my first choice maybe would be third round and my second choice would be second round. So like, okay, I think he has a pretty good chance to go in the second round. So I guess that's not impossible, but just tight end positionally, I think it's tough, but he's a pretty freaking good football player. Could he combine his way into the first round? I mean, is he a, is he a monster crazy athlete? I don't know that he it is. doesn't. He is a yeah, it really like good it. football player, yeah. and a I think he is a really good football player who is quite a good athlete. Is he a crazy monster tight end freak? I I don't I don't know because though not many of those guys exist. I guess, and the other thing to think about is like, I think he's a better football player than Luke Farrell. But what was there a huge separation between the two of them when they were on the field together? I think Jeremy Ruckert is a substantially better pass catcher than Luke Farrell. Possibly. And yeah. I think Luke Farrell is probably at this point a better blocker than Jeremy Ruckert, but Ruckert is closer to Farrell in blocking than Farrell is to Ruckert in terms of pass catching. Some of the stuff that Ruckert does down the seam with those one-handed catches that we all know, I don't think Luke Farrell can do that, which is not sure. a shot at Luke Farrell. 
which is why I think uh, he's probably not a freak yet because that's just, I mean, that's a high bar to give on anybody, no matter what position you're talking about. But Ohio State's not going to use him in that way. Ohio State will never do for Jeremy Rucker what Florida did for Kyle Pitts last year. I think when he got drafted, I was watching the ESPN broadcast, and they were showing all the places that he got a target from. And most of his targets were at wide receiver in the slot than they were being a tight end. He was a tight end by name only. Also, it's never doing that. So I am leaving the possibility that we get to a combine and pro day situation when we find out, man, we knew he was being underutilized here, but man, he's really, really a freak, a little bit of a freak here. And he just never was going to be used in that possibility because of what Ohio State has at all these other positions. So I'm just leaving some of that possibility out there, even though I know it's probably unlikely. So because of that, he's got to be a possible for me. Mike Gusecki at Penn State, who I actually think is a decent comparison for Ruckert, mm. although he got used probably more than Ruckert's going to get used. Mike Gusecki at Penn State, uh, the 2018 draft, second round, number 42 overall. Um, Mark Andrews, really productive receiver for Baker Mayfield, Oklahoma, fourth round in 2018. Irv Smith at Alabama, second round in 2019, 50th overall. I think that's decent. Cole Komet. 2020 draft, first tight end off the board, second round to the Bears, pick 43. Like, I'm thinking like Irv Smith, Mike Giuseppe, Cole Komet, like in the 40s or 50s, and it's just – it's a little yep. bit too much to ask to get into the 20s or early 30s. I, I hear that. Uh, some other guys, Haskell Garrett. I think Haskell Garrett is going to get picked apart without Tommy Togiai mm-hmm. next to him. I think he is a very good football player. He was a high – four-star recruit um i think he had a little bit of a magical season and if he only cared about like draft prospect i think maybe he should have gone uh they're going to come back and be able to look at tape on him he's a really productive defensive tackle like in the end is he like significantly better than davon hamilton who was a third round pick is he significantly better than draymond jones who was a third round pick I, i don't think so so, like, first round, no chance in my mind. Is he significantly better than Tommy Togiai? And or is Trait significantly better than Tommy Togiai, who was a fourth-round pick? I, I would say no chance on Haskell Garrett. I would say more like third or fourth round. It's that, but then also this is just going to be a significantly better draft for defensive linemen, especially edge rushers in general. And so those guys are going to be taking up the first round draft pick. So there's not going to be room for an interior lineman who might not be the first or second guy at his position taken off the board to be a first rounder. Yeah, I, I agree. I would not predict him to be a first rounder at this point. Harry Miller. No chance. He's not coming. No chance. Out. Even yeah, if he was, I'd, I'd be surprised if he came out. Yeah. He could literally win the Remington award. He's not going to be a first rounder. Josh Proctor. No, no. not at safety. And Teron Vincent. No. It's so hard to predict. I mean, you, you, we all think that there's like some kind of underlying talent there waiting to blow up, but we've seen none of it. And it's not his fault, but it's, it's just such a hard thing to try to project. His would have to be the biggest explosion of all to, to push through. I had, I had had a question. I don't know if we're really going to get time to go in a big discussion on this, but like which player needs 2021 production the most in order to be a first-round pick. And the guys on this list would obviously be more so than the guys I included on the survey. But his he would be number one, just that he would need to really break through in a dominant way, sort of, to ensure that he's even in that kind of radar. He would just have to be a completely different player than he's been so far. I mean, it's like, could he, could he be Glenn Dorsey? It's like, I don't – I mean, 
I guess, but like, again, I, I, not, not at a premium position as an interior defensive lineman, I'd say no. So Doug, who is your guy that you would think you think will be the third Ohio state player off the board? If I was betting money on it and I would hope I would get a little bit of decent odds on this because I just am whatever with my Zach Harrison thing. I just have the Zach Harrison thing in the back of my head. I would bet Thayer Munford because I think like, Thayer Munford is like, no, Thayer Munford's not going to go in the top 15. But like, if you are just looking for like a reliable and you start seeing this in the draft, right? Like these Samuel Cosme, Tevin Jenkins, Liam Eikenberg, Jackson Carmen, like late first, Alex Leatherwood, these late first second round tackles that do not have to be the world's greatest athletes at tackle. If it's like, if it looks like you can play football and you can stay in front of people, I think he is, I think he is right in there. So like in a world where I'm not, I'm only picking two first round picks and then it's like, well, who's next? It's like Thayer Munford at number 38. Like I just think is like really possible. Uh, Maybe it even surprises us in the moment. But it's just like no, it's like nobody could get around him. I just think he might have a like a, a great football year. And the thing that we have not talked about, Nathan, and, and that like I think we have to mention at least a little bit is they're going to need quarterback production to help all these guys on offense look good. Olave, Wilson, Ruckert, both tackles. That's five guys that if like the starting quarterback is back there missing reads and holding on to the ball and give and getting sacked and making their tackles look bad because you can't block a guy for seven seconds, right? It's going to affect, I think, the draft status of all these guys. Now, I get it. The NFL teams are smart. They can evaluate that. Oh, look, Thayer Munford blocked this guy for eight seconds, but C.J. Stroud didn't know what to do, and so he got sacked on the ninth second, right? But I do think it will have some effect. We're talking about a lot of offensive guys who will be playing with a quarterback who's never thrown a pass before. And that will have some influence on their draft stock. Yeah, I think that's fair. Steven, outside of Wilson, Olave, Harrison, and NPF, who would you pick next? Tyree Smith. I think, I mean, we've talked about it. It's been, I mean, players have said it to us that he's this and he's that. And he was a top 30 recruit and all of this stuff. And we've seen the flashes of it, but we haven't seen it from a consistent standpoint. And he, of all the guys that we've talked about, is the one guy where if he just explodes and has eight and a half to ten sacks, which I know is that's crazy, but just to say he does that, then all of a sudden that's the type of year where a team's willing to take a flyer on him with the number 27 or 28 pick in the draft because – you can use the he wasn't healthy, but look what happened once he got healthy and had a normal year. I think that's those are both good points. I think though, I think Rucker might be in that conversation because I think I agree with you, Doug, that he might be early second round at best. But that's the that's the realm we're talking about right here too. So I think that that also kind of crystallizes like this conversation gives us a good idea of just how the abundance of like very close to NFL-ready talent there is on this roster. I think we knew that already, but this sort of reinforces it, right, that we're talking about as many as, like, eight, nine guys in that, like, first or second round legitimate conversation. So that they set the record, whatever it was. I think some – maybe Bama – no, they didn't. He's only got eight in the top 30 getting in the big drop. But the 10, 10 picks in the first three rounds in the 2016 draft, can we finish up with that? Do we think they could tie that? Because I will say – we're, we're starting to nitpick here. Oh, I think this guy could go in the 30s. I think this guy could go in the 40s. It's like, well, that's all awesome. It's not first-round picks, but it's very high draft picks. 
uh, 10 tackles in the top 53 in this draft, which is why I'm going with Thayer Munford. Like, I, I don't know anything about tight ends. Ready? On Buckeye Talk. Let's do a Buckeye Talk quiz show. Name another tight end in college football. That's what I'm saying, yeah. So, no. so I mean, literally. Name yeah. a name. Does anybody – nobody knows. But to, – To that point, because I just said it, there's, this is, is going to be a great draft for defensive ends – could a team feel like, okay, I can get another defensive end who's just as good, and so we're going to go with a different position, no. and that's how Jeremy Ruckert sneaks in. No, my point is not that there's no good tight ends. My point is that we don't know what the heck we're talking about. It's not we, that there's no good tight ends out. out. It's not that there's no good <laughs> tight ends out there. It's that we don't know anything. So please do not take that as, I mean, you're making some declarative statements about, like, we don't know. We don't know anything about guys who aren't on Ohio State. That said – I think Jeremy Rucker could be the first tight end off the board. <laughs> but I'm not going to – do not take that as an indictment of college football tight ends. It's just I can't name another one. I, I, think, Cody, I think Kate Stover could come out and go in the fourth round. That's my other – I'm just kidding. But, so the, but the point is, like if we're talking about, hey, right, I mean, in the 50s, Ruckert could be the first tight end or Thayer Munford could be the 10th tackle, and they could go in back-to-back picks, right? I mean, it's, it's about – Premium, the premium of your position, how deep the group is, and that kind of thing. So, But your question about the 10 in the first three rounds, I think, is also – I did want to get to that because, you know, there's the eight guys that I put on the survey and asked people to vote on. And then, like, Haskell Garrett and – Well, let's Josh run the Proctor, list. Haskell let's Garrett. run the list. Right. Let's do your thing again. Could this guy go in the first three rounds? And we'll see how many we at least have maybe on. Well, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, we're all in agreement on. Zach Harrison. Yes. Three. Thayer Munford. Four. Nicholas Petit Frere. Five. Tyreek Smith. Six. Jeremy Ruckert. Seven. Seven. Seven Banks. Seven. I should have said seven. I know. Yeah. <laughs> seven Banks is eight. Come Haskell on. Garrett. Nine. Then I think it gets tight. Josh Proctor. Yeah, okay, so that's where we are. So 10 would be tough because now we're getting into like Proctor. Vincent Miller. Ron Vincent breakout. Miller goes early. Yeah, yeah, like Taraja Mitchell goes bonkers. Right, like that we would be asking somebody who hasn't really ever shown it to look like a top 100 NFL draft prospect. Well, one other name I guess we can throw in here as long as we're truly speculating, Henry Toa Toa. Henry Toa Toa. I mean, Trey Sermon, Trey Sermon came and it's like, again, it's like, I don't know if they get credit for it, but you do. So, yeah. Master Teague? No. I, I can't see that. No. If, if the running back class is as bad as it was this year, I, I think his, his chances of rising are there. But I don't know if he rises that high. I think yeah. Mike Weber was the, seven, uh, the 218th pick in the 2019 draft. That's about where I expect Master Teague to go. Doug, did you want to end with a look back at Matt's? Yeah. So you guys guessed. So Matt Gould, you know, a week after the draft last year, it was especially meaningful last year because he was like, hey, here's who I think is going to be picked in the first round in Cleveland, right? That it was our draft. And so, um, you know, I think Cleveland did a good job. It, didn't, it wasn't quite what it would have been in a completely normal world, but I'm glad Cleveland got to have the draft, and I think Cleveland got showcased in a, night way, in a nice way. So I added up. He predicted his mock draft, the 32 first-round picks a year ago, how many of the guys he predicted actually went in the first round a year later? 
And how many of his 32 got drafted in this draft at all? I want both you guys to guess that number. Nathan, how many first-round picks did Matt get right? 13. Steven? Uh, 10. And then how many picks overall did he get right that got picked at all in this draft of the first-rounders? How many people that he had in his first round got picked at all? Yes, even in the seventh round. Yes. Uh, 27. Steven? Yeah, I'll say 28. I was going to say 27, but 28. So he had 12 first-rounders, and he had 25 of the 32. And the reason he had 25 of the 32, um, four of them didn't come out. Like, he had Justin Ross. So, like, four of them are still in college. And then he only had three guys that went undrafted that he had in his first round. So, and a lot of them, like Dylan Moses, Alabama linebacker, who's a five-star guy and a starter at Alabama, didn't go. Marvin Wilson, who the Browns signed as an undrafted free agent. And Jamie Newman was the other guy who didn't play. So, like, even in a pandemic year, right, where it affected everything, he got 12 of the 32 first-rounders right, and he got 25 of the 32 were picked. And he also had he had 12 first-rounders, five second-rounders, and two third-rounders. So, of his 32 guys that were in his first round a year ago, 19 of those 32 went the first three rounds. I think that's pretty good, which is like saying that, listen, we know kind of who the best guys are, right? Like we have an idea of the big famous guys from famous teams. So as much as people are like, ah, mock draft a year ahead, it's like, well, you know, it's not crazy. His top 10, he had, um, let's see, eight of his top 12 players from a year ago. No, I, I take that back. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine of his top 13 from a year ago went in the first round. Here was his first round from a year ago. And I'm just doing this because it's a small way to provide context that says talking about a draft a year ahead is not throwing darts. Or if it is throwing darts, it's not throwing darts blindfolded. It's like, all right, well, you're standing in front of a dartboard. And sometimes your throw is pretty good. You don't usually hit the waiter in the butt with your dart yeah. if you're not blindfolded. You hit the board, and sometimes you get a bullseye. Yeah, and there's always some measure of, like, sophomore All-Americans who you can confidently yeah. take a good yeah. guess at being first-round picks. So a year ago, he had Trevor Lawrence, one. He went one. He had Panay Sewell, two. He went seven. He had Jamar Chase, three. He went five. He had Justin Fields, four. He went 11. He had Patrick Sertan, five. He went nine. He had Walker Little, a tackle from Stanford, six. He went number 45 in the second round. Okay, that's still pretty good. He had Micah Parsons, seven. He went 12. He had Jackson Carmen eight. He went 46 in the second round. Still pretty good. He had Justin Ross, nine. Got hurt, didn't play the whole year. Is going to come back and is projected as a first-round pick. So still a good projection. He had Greg Rousseau, the Miami defensive end, 10. He went 30. The first big miss, Sean Wade at 11. He had Sean Wade at 11, and he went in the fifth round. We all know what happened there. Number 12, Travis Etienne. He went 25th. Number 13, Jalen Waddell. He went sixth. That top 13, like, is practically the yeah. top half of the first round. So, like, you know, we're, we're mentioning these mock drafts. Like, listen, man, like, as we sit here trying to project if Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are going to be first-round picks, they're, like, almost certainly going to be first-round picks as long as they're healthy. Like it's, it's not, a, it's not a lock, but
But like, even if they're bad or the Ohio State quarterback situation isn't good, the film is there. People are going to look at their 2019 and 2020 film and be like, man, they're still pretty good players. So part of it is like a lot of the hay is in the barn. So they're, they're going to be first round picks. Well, we have marked it down who we think Ohio State's first round picks will be. Come back tomorrow for another episode. Like I said, we are going Monday through Friday now. We are out of the usual this, this Tuesday through Saturday we've been in. So make sure that Friday one lasts all weekend when we do BFFs. Steven and I will have another one of those for you this week going over a position group and what's coming for the Buckeyes. But until then, I'm Nathan Baird. And for Doug Maurice and Steven Means, that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.